Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Danny. I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Uh, which would you prefer first? Bad news, good news. Who, who? If someone asks, if someone says that to you, who, who prefers the good news first? Raise your hand. Absolutely no one. All right. Okay. Who, who prefers the bad news first? Okay. All right. All right. If if you're online, why don't you just chat in good news or bad news? Just so that you're aware, you can't see everyone here this morning. Nobody put their hand up for good news first. Everybody put their hand up for bad news first. Or who's with me and would just say, just give me the news. (laughs) Don't ask me to choose what comes first. You make that choice. You decide what's good news. Like, just tell me what the news is. I'll decide what's good news and bad news. Thank you very much. Uh, Let me choose. Well, um, I heard a story this week. Two elderly gentlemen in their 90s, uh, Phil and Tom, uh, they had grown up together all their lives, best mates forever. They were cricket tragics, absolutely loved cricket, uh, and they played cricket as young guys, and they watched cricket constantly, they just loved it. They were getting to the end of their life, and they, they made a pact together. They, they made a pact that if, <clears throat> when, when the first one passed away, they would, uh, and go to heaven, they would find out whether or not there was cricket in heaven, and then come back and tell the other. Uh, <clears throat> not a true story, I'll just... <laughs> clarify. Um, Of course, we know that there's definitely cricket in heaven, so um, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But anyway, sure enough, um, uh, Phil passed away peacefully at the age of 98, and and a few weeks later, um, Tom was awoken in the middle of the night with someone whispering his name. Tom, Tom, Tom. And of course, he wakes up really kind of a bit wondering what on earth's going on, and then he realizes Phil is back. He's in his room, and Phil says to him, "I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is there's definitely cricket in heaven. The bad news is I've seen the team sheet for Saturday, and you're opening the bowling." <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's always best, always best, to have the bad news first. Or to decide for ourselves what's good news and what's bad news, right? Oh dear. Well, we're in this series called Prepare the Way, and in just a moment you'll figure out why on earth I even told that um, joke. It will make sense, hopefully. Um, But we are talking about uh, some of the books of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. Uh, And they were called minor not because they were insignificant, not because they were young, not because they liked to dig holes. Uh, but because their, their books were basically shorter than the bigger ones, right? Uh, and we can't call them the short prophets for obviously, obvious reasons. So they're the minor prophets, and uh, over the next four services, we're going to delve into four of these minor prophets uh, and find out uh, what their message was to their people and what it meant to them and what it could mean to us. And uh, Sam kicked us off brilliantly last week uh, by introducing to us the the idea of a prophet, uh, what a prophet is, what a prophet was in, in the biblical context. Uh, and he said this, he said, a prophet is God's messenger, sharing God's message, which is prophecy, reminding the recipients, and for biblical prophets, it was primarily the people of Israel, who God is, 
what he is doing, his promises, and how he deserves to be worshipped as a prophet. And uh, he also said that quite often we tend to make ourselves kings and queens of our own castles, don't we? Um, But it was one of the prophet's uh, responsibilities to remind the people who the real king of the castle was uh, and who the naughty rascals were. So today I've been asked to, yes, uh, lead us uh, and uh, to uh, look into the uh, prophet Micah. Now, I have been asked, presumably, because uh, our son's name is Micah, Uh, And apparently that makes me more of an expert on Micah than uh, anyone else. But no, uh, it just means that we liked the name uh, and we liked who he stood for. Uh, But uh, we do get to dig into the book and the prophet of Micah this morning. Now, the very first line, the very first verse in Micah actually gives us some really important information about who Micah was, where he was, when he was. Uh, he says this, Micah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, the information here tells us a few really important things about Micah. Micah was from a town called Moresheth in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, he was at the particular time of these specific kings, and we know from other historical records that that makes uh, his period about 760 to 700 BC. So that's roughly when he was uh, walking around and and wrote this um, book. We know that um, this was the time of history where the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel, the capital of Samaria, the north and the kingdom of Judah, capital of Jerusalem in the south. And by saying that this word from God was for Samaria and Jerusalem, he was basically saying all the people of Israel should listen up. This message from God is for everybody. Okay. Now, like um, many, many, many generations before, uh, we, we actually have heard this recently, but many generations before, God made a covenant with his people a covenant, an agreement, a a contract, a two-way promise. The covenant was that if the people lived in the way that God wanted them to live, then He would be their God and they would be His people. And um, as a result, God would protect them and God would provide for them and and He would be with them in battle and in times of peace and, and all would go well. And that would be indefinitely forever, as long as they kept living in the way that he had laid out. The other side of the covenant, though, was if they didn't live in the way that God had laid out for them, then he wouldn't necessarily protect them. He wouldn't necessarily provide for them. He wouldn't necessarily be with them. They, that was the consequences of not following their agreement. And, and uh, so he laid out that covenant, and all the people said, yep, absolutely, sign us up. We're absolutely for that, no worries. And slowly but surely, over hundreds of years, they drifted. And uh, the good news for the people of Israel in the time of Micah was that, well, God is a man of His Word. And God is a patient God. 
And God loves them so dearly. And God wants to give them every opportunity to return to Him and to correct their way of living. But the bad news was that God is also a man of His Word. And for them, that meant that because over hundreds of years they had turned their back on God, that they would turned their back on living in the way that God wanted them to live, He had to allow the consequences of those decisions to happen. And this is the context that we find Micah. This is the message that God is speaking through Micah to the people of all of Israel. He has bad news first, good man. <laughs> like most prophets, prophets had good news and bad news, right? And, uh, but Micah decided to start with the bad news, uh, which is what we all want, which is good. Uh, bad news number one, Micah says, bad news number one, your idol worshippers who steal from people. You are idol worshippers who steal from people. Chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, All her images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols will lay waste. I will lay waste. For as the wages of a prostitute she gathered them, and as the wages of a prostitute they shall again be used. You see, over this period of hundreds of years, the people of Israel had drifted, drifted away from worshipping the one true God, and instead been influenced by the the nations, the cultures around them, to worshipping a number of gods. And to the point where they set up alternate temples, set up alternate places of sacrifice, and they did all sorts of crazy and pretty disgusting kind of things to worship these other gods. You name it, and they did it. And God is saying through Micah right now, He's pointing out to them that they have been about as faithful to the one true God as a prostitute is faithful to one person. It's pretty confronting kind of language, but they needed a, they needed a wake-up call. And this is the situation they find themselves in. But not just that. He goes on in chapter 2, he says, They covet fields and seize them, houses, and take them away, They oppress householder and house, people and their inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I am devising against this family an evil from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk arrogantly, for it will be an evil time. Again, hundreds of years earlier, when God made this covenant with His people, He had provided for them. He provided um, possessions. He provided for them land. A, a land flowing with milk and honey. He, he had set up an economy for Israel uh, with the, the laws that he brought through Moses so that, so that there was no extreme poverty, so that even the poorest people would be taken care of, that, that nobody had to suffer, that, that the, the wealthy looked after the poor, that the poor were just as valuable and as important as the wealthy. And over hundreds of years, this had drifted. And so much so that uh, later in this chapter, Micah explains some of the types of activity that is happening at this point. And one of them is that the, the super rich, the powerful, are actually stealing property off the poor, selling them for money, and then keeping the money for themselves. And God's saying, enough is enough. This is not 
what we agreed to. And as a result, there are some consequences coming. And these consequences are pretty bad. They include destruction. They include death. But it's at this point that Micah said, well, that's, the, that's some of the bad news, but I do have some good news for you as well. And he moves to good news number one. He says, there's a shepherd coming. There's a shepherd coming. In chapter 2, he says, I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the survivors of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. It will resound with people. The one who breaks out with, will go up before them and they will break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king will pass on before them, the Lord at their head. Yes, the whole of Israel is about to suffer consequences for hundreds of years of living in ways that God didn't want them to do. But it's not the end. It's not the end. Micah gives hope. And hope especially to those people who had been mistreated. Hope especially to the people who'd been taken advantage of, who'd been cheated by the people in power, by people who were wealthy, people who... Um, took advantage of them. He says there is a shepherd coming, a shepherd who will one day gather his people once again, a shepherd gathering his flock to care for, to nourish them, to protect them, to give them a future. And 750-odd years or so later, there would come a person we know as Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who would leave the 99 to chase after the one who is lost. The good shepherd who knows his sheep and they know him. But, Micah says, but before that happens, I'm afraid I've got more bad news for you. Bad news, number one, was that your idol worshippers and that you steal from people. Bad news number two is that your prophets and leaders are all corrupt. They're all corrupt. In chapter three, he says this, and I said, listen, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off my people and the flesh off my bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin off them, break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. Ew! Gross! <laughs> Micah! <laughs> That's disgusting, right? Um, remember, these are actually God's words through Micah. And there is actually a reason why God is being so gross, <laughs> why he's being so disgusting. You see, Micah explains that there are people walking around at this point in time, walking around Israel, claiming to be prophets, claiming to have messages from God, but if you pay them lots of money, they'll give you a favorable message from God, and if you don't pay them, they'll give you an unfavorable message from God. <laughs> and of course, this is pretty dodgy, and um, it's just plain wrong, right? But worse still, it implies to everybody that God favors the wealthy and ignores or even hates the poor. And that 
is a false message from God. And so God labeled them as false prophets because they were preaching a false message from God. And God uses this language because He wants us, the hearers and the readers, the people at the time and and us all this time later, to feel as disgusted with this situation as He feels disgusted. He wants us to be grossed out. He wants us to have something go funny in our tummy because that's just awful and disgusting and confronting and horrible and horrifying. He wants us to feel that way because that's how he feels about what's happening in Israel at the time. And you'll actually hear this kind of language in a lot of other prophets as well. And that's, that's why God wants us to feel what he feels about sin. And not only this, of course, the prophets are dodgy, they're corrupt, but also all of their leaders are. They're, they're political leaders, they're judges, they're priests. They could all be um, bought off. They could all be bribed. If you had enough money, you could make them basically give you whatever um, decision you wanted or needed at the time. And he continues and he says, Because of people like you, Zion will be turned back to farmland. Jerusalem will end up as just a pile of rubble. And instead of the temple on the mountain, just a few scraggly scrub pines. God, through Micah, was warning those people that enough was enough. And the consequences were coming. Even even so much so that their pride and joy, a capital city, Jerusalem, the place that had had the temple and the and the palace and all the prestige and the fame and the power and everything would be completely destroyed. It would be reduced to rubble. And this is a pretty confronting message for the people at the time. This is scary. This is dark. This is something that the last thing that they would ever have wanted to hear. It was a huge wake-up call. But Micah, said that this is, this is pretty nasty, but there's a little bit of good news as well. Because he goes on and, and he, he explains that Jerusalem would actually be one day rebuilt. That yes, it would be turned to rubble, but one day it would be restored. That people would one day come from all over the world to worship God in this city once again. And then he says, there's another piece of really good news I want to share with you. Good news number two, that there's a new king coming. There's a new king coming. In our chapter 5, he says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Promise of a new king. Promise of a new king. Micah says, all your leaders now, of all your leaders are corrupt. They're terrible people. They're doing evil. They're, they're cheating the poor. They're treating everybody terribly. They're sinful. They're all, all manner of corrupt, but, but... There is one coming, a good and perfect king, a king who cares if you're hungry, 
A king who provides safety for his people. A king with influence across the world and a king who is one of peace. A new king from the little town of Bethlehem. And 750 odd years later, a man we know as Jesus becomes king. A different kind of king, but the ultimate king. But in classic Micah style, he says that before that happens, I'm sorry, but I've got more bad news for you. (laughs) Bad news number one was that you're idol worshippers, that you steal from people. Bad news number two, all your prophets and all your leaders are completely corrupt. Bad news number three, and here's the kicker, you've forgotten how God wants you to live. You've completely forgotten how God wants you to live. In uh, chapter 6, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah is warning the people they are cheating, (laughs) they are lying, they are violent, they are greedful, they are greedy, they are wasteful, they are untrustworthy even to their own family members, and they have forgotten how God wants to worship them to worship him and how God wants them to treat each other. And not only have they broken their side of their covenant, but they've actually pretty much just forgotten it altogether. This whole idea of covenant with God out the window. And right in the middle of this message, Micah actually very simply just reminds them what it is that God does require of them. And these are in probably his most famous words, he says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what God requires of you. That's how God wants you to live. He wants you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The problem is, the bad news for Israel was that they were doing everything except those three things. In fact, they were doing the opposite of those three things. They weren't doing justice. They were doing incredible injustice. They weren't loving kindness. They weren't kind to anybody. They weren't walking humbly with their God. They were walking with all sorts of other gods, not the one true God. They hadn't just broken their covenant with Him. They'd actually forgotten it altogether. And, and, and Micah reminded them, very simply, what God required. But once again, Micah doesn't just leave it here. He doesn't just leave it as all doom and gloom. Yes, consequences are about to come because that's part of the promise. That was part of the covenant. And God keeps His promises. And so, unfortunately, because of hundreds of years of this happening, you do have to face the consequences. However, it's not the end. He says there's still good news. Good news number one was that there's a shepherd coming. 
Good news number two, there's a new king coming. And good news number three is there's a forgiver coming. There is a forgiver coming. And right at the end of the book of Micah, right, the last thing he wants to leave his listeners with is this. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in showing steadfast love. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our ancestors from the days of old. You see the very last words of Micah, the words that he wants his readers to walk away with and the words that he would want us to walk away with this morning. is a reminder that God loves us so much, so much, that He would one day send a forgiver. He would one day send a forgiver out of His incredible love for us. And His promises to His people before. And 750 or so years later, along would come a man we know as Jesus who would be the forgiver of our sins through what he did on the cross. So that even though we break our covenant with God, even though we break our promises to God all the time, every day, we can be forgiven. We can accept the love of our Father and accept the forgiveness of Jesus. I wonder what it is that God is saying to you this morning through the words of Micah. I wonder who you need Jesus to be this morning. Do you need a shepherd? Do you need someone to to bring their loving arms around you? Do you need a community of other sheep (laughs) to be a part of? Do you need that loving shepherd to guide you to point you in the right direction, to give you a hope and a future. Jesus is that shepherd. I wonder this morning if you need a new king. Maybe you've been let down by people in authority. Maybe the people who, um, who have power in your life have misused that. And you're searching for a new king. Jesus is that king. Jesus is the perfect king. The king that Micah promised to his people and the king that we now have in our lives today. I wonder if you need Jesus to be your forgiver this morning. The forgiver of your sins. I wonder, over time maybe, you've drifted. Maybe over time you've forgotten how God wants you to live. Maybe you've forgotten justice, kindness, and walking with God. Jesus is your forgiver this morning. Who is the king of your castle? Who is the king of your castle? Micah, as a prophet, if he was here this morning, he would be asking that question. He would be challenging us. Maybe we've been a Christian for a very, very long time. 
that doesn't mean that right now in this moment that he isn't the king of your castle right now. Who is the king of your castle in this very moment? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? It's my prayer for us this morning that in the lead up to Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, we would remember the message of God through Micah who is preparing the way. The bad news is that our sin separates us from God who loves us steadfastly. But the good news is that even though we're the dirty rascals, (laughs) we can turn to Him, invite Him into our lives, and Jesus will be our loving shepherd, our perfect King, our merciful forgiver, and He will fulfill His promises to us.